to be a Buddhist in America, you have to read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Don't buy the book. It's a crappy book. But actually, it was a pretty cute book, but not one that I would recommend. Now, uh, so I read this book, and um, I, I remember um, reading another book, uh, uh, Zen and Recovery or something like that, and lower me down. This is really loud. Um, so, and then what happened was, is that I, I, I went to Raymond, the Raymond that you just saw right now, and he was, we were both on our journeys. We were both on our way to receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I took a very roundabout way of discovering this, right? And so, uh, Raymond uh, was on his way, and he had been going to church kind of infrequently, but he was, you know, he was kind of on his way. And so I told Raymond, I said, you know what? Because I felt at more peace than I had ever felt in my entire life, which is not saying a whole lot. I was a pretty miserable person, and so I never really felt peace. But I had felt more peace than I've ever felt in my entire life. I felt good, so I said, I'm going to be a Buddhist. So I remember going to Raymond and telling him I was going to be a Buddhist. And we had one of those discussions. Have you ever had one of those discussions where you're not sure if it's going to come to blows or not? Have you ever had one of those? I've had a few of those. And so we, I mean, it was an intense fellowship. And we were really just kind of digging into each other and, 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 and yelling back and forth, yeah, but this is right and this is good and this is true. And he goes, yeah, but this is right and this is good and this is true. Well, we had, we had that discussion for about 45 minutes, and then we just left. And, uh, and that was a pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moment in my life. Raymond, what, what happened looking back, I, can, I mean, you know, in the moment if you were to ask me, I would say he was being a jerk. But what he had done was something special. He had loved me enough to stop me from going down a wrong road, risk the relationship, and confront me with my sin. It was, a, it was an uncomfortable conversation. I wonder if you've ever had that. I wonder if you've ever had that gift where someone comes up to you and says, uh, you know, I think you might be drinking too much. I think that, you know, have you, you know, I think you're spoiling your kids. You know, I think that the way you're raising your children is going to be painful and it's going to hurt you and it's certainly going to hurt them for the rest of their life. Hey, I think the way you do relationships is destructive. I think that the way you, you know, the way you get and keep a man is going to hurt you. I think that the way you get and keep a girl is not sustainable. Hey, I think your marriage is on its way to divorce. And I just want to just kind of speak. Have you ever had anybody who loved you enough to be courageous enough to tell you, hey, you need to be addressed. If we ever had anybody in moments like this, we know that while those conversations are incredibly uncomfortable, while those conversations are unbelievably painful, while those conversations are many times not well received, there are pivotal moments in our lives where we could look back to and say, wow, if that person hadn't taken that risk, and, and, and told us about how inappropriate we were being. Or told us, you know, my kids would have grown up different. My marriage would have been destroyed. My, my relationship with my friends would have been over. My, my future would have gone. Not the way I have it now. We're in this series called Judgmental. And here's what we've learned. We've learned in this series, Judgmental, that when people say you're not supposed to judge, they are wrong. We've learned that we are supposed to judge, not in the way that you've learned or heard in the past, but that we are supposed to love one another enough. You are not my friend if I tell you I'm going to drive off of a pier, and I think the car can make it. I saw it in a movie, and I think the car can make it over to the other side. You are not my friend if you go, cool, I'll watch. You're not my friend. Has anybody here ever had a friend, right, who, like, you were dating somebody, and they were cheating on you or doing something evil to you? 
and then you found out, right, and you broke off the relationship, and then you go to that friend and you say, yeah, man, they were cheating on me, and it was awful, and the, the person goes, I know. You know? Why didn't you tell me? Why? Listen, listen. We are finding out in this series that if we're going to be people who love Jesus and people who love... Now, we're not talking about judging people who are outside in the world. Listen, how am I going to judge people who don't know Jesus? I can't judge them. We don't agree on the same standard. But if we're in the church and you're sinning and you're going outside the will of God, we both agree. Remember the example we gave last week? If I just met you five minutes ago and a number falls out of your pocket and I go, hey, who's that? Well, it's a guy I met yesterday. I was thinking about dating him. I'd go, okay. No big, you know, I pray that you enjoy your time with him. Hey, you want to go out for coffee? Maybe we could get to know each other. Maybe it's something we can connect with. You know, right? But if we're married and a number falls out of your pocket, <laughs> issues, problems, things won't go well. Why? Because when we agree on a standard, I will be with you forever, forsaking all others. When we agree on that standard, then we have an accountability we can hold each other through, too. Does that make sense? Now, we said that the process, and we spoke about this in the very first week, the process by which we judge is not the process by which other people judge in the world. We do it Jesus' way. And the first thing we do, do you remember what the first thing we do? Does anybody remember? We look in the, we look in the mirror. We look in the mirror. Because let me tell you something. When you see something in somebody else that you don't like, chances are there's something in you that God wants to deal with and he really doesn't like. And so we look in the mirror and we say, what is it about me? Like, why am I getting, like, you know, it's me and it's my wife and we see our kids going in the wrong direction. Now, my wife loves my kids just as much as I do. My wife loves Jesus just as much as I do. But why am I getting so riled up? Why am I getting so outraged? Why am I screaming at the top of my voice? Ah, God is trying to point something out in my heart. Edwin, you lived a very horrible life. You, you, there's some stuff that you're going to have to work out in your past if you're going to confront your children in ways that they'll be able to hear you. We said, first thing we do is we look in the... Second thing we do is we ask God for help with our sin, with our sin. Yeah, we ask God to help. In other words, what, remember what the Bible says? That first, remove the plank from your own eye. You know why the, God, the Bible says first, remove the plank from your own eye? Because there's a second. There's something else that you want to do, right? First, we remove the plank out of our own eye. And it's not a work that we do in ourselves. We go, oh, Jesus. I'm an infidel. I just don't trust. I've cheated on so many men. I'll never trust the men that I'm with. Thieves think that other people are thieves. Isn't that true? Liars think that everyone else lies. If you see something in someone else, if you can't trust, if you can't, there is something that God wants to work out in your heart. Does that make sense? That was the second thing we learned. This is all in the first week. You should come to church more often. You'd learn a lot more. Okay. Third week, we, we, we knew this. Then we confront the person with their sin. Nobody likes this. Nobody likes this. Then we actually, and that's what we're going to talk about today, confronting the person with their sin. See, once I've looked in the mirror and checked why am I so riled up on this, and then I've asked God to remove my plank, my sin, then I've actually got to walk over and go from the sort of the, what is perceived to be the judging uh, a desk, and I got to walk over and say, this is not, this is going to kill you. This is going to hurt you. Okay, okay. You think, here's what you think. You think you're going away to a retreat, college, away for, you know, two months to a, like Italy or something like that. You think you're going and you're going to have a good time and that this is all this other stuff. I'm telling you, you're heading towards destruction. You're heading towards destruction. You think that it's going to be all freedom and joy, and what it is is bondage and decay. You'll have more guilt than you know what to do with. We have to actually move to the place where we go, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. In this church, we would have to actually go. Some of you would actually have to say, I've talked so bad about other people. I've been such a hypocrite, and I've gossiped so much. The sin is in me, and I know I've done it with you, but I've checked 
the sin in me, and it's evil and it's awful, and I would beg you to do the same. God would address some things in your life. He would address some things in mine. What we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now, before we actually start reading, there is a, an incredibly uncomfortable situation that the Bible is going to describe to us. The, 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 the situation is more than you can imagine. First off, let me tell you the two starring role players in this story. One is called Nathan. Everybody say Nathan. The, Nathan is a prophet of God. Nathan loves Jesus. Nathan wants God to use him in powerful and mighty ways. Nathan has been seeing something in his boss's life. His boss, his name is David. Everybody say David. David is his boss. And, by the way, he's the king. Oh, did I mention? He's also the fiercest warrior they've ever known. He's the guy who killed Goliath. Okay. Nathan, you think your boss is tough. Nathan's boss has killed people chopped off their heads, walked them over to the, at that point, king, so that he could get a wife. That's a guy to be intimidated about. Would you agree? Amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not telling that guy that his breast stinks. I'm just not doing it. It's just, you can't make me, right? There's a big head there. Yeah, I cut it off myself. Really? Okay. Calm down. So, Nathan sees a terrible sin. A sin that's so grievous that it's broken his heart. Other people know about this sin, but nobody says. You know why? They're scared. They don't want to. You know what? It's none of their business. Hey, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. Hey, listen. That's his life. If that's the way he wants to live, then so be it. Hey, hey, hey. Listen. Listen. It's none of my business. And a ton of people saw David destroying his life, destroying his family, destroying his kingdom. And these people said nothing. Let me tell you something. If you take the role of those people, I want you to know that if you exclude yourself from confronting your friend, your family, your Christian brother, your Christian sister, your, your wife, your husband, if you exclude yourself from confronting them in Jesus' name, you exclude yourself from helping them in the solution. If you exclude yourself from being able to go, this is going to go badly, this is terrible, or you're in sin and this is unacceptable, you exclude yourself from being able to say, let me help you through this process. David, let me tell you what his sin was. David, in the time that kings go off to war, David went to his roof, looked out from his, uh, his, uh, his uh, uh, deck, looked out and saw the prettiest girl. And would you believe she was taking a bath? saw her and said, I got to have her. I went to, his, went to one of his uh, servants and said, get her for me. There's a little problem. Here's the thing. A couple of things. Number one, she's not his wife. Number two, she has a husband. It gets worse. David sees her, has her come into him, Who's going to deny the king? Like, who's going to say, honestly, who's going to say no to the king? The woman, she's, she's powerless in this situation. She has absolutely no... He takes her, and he has sex with her. You see, you should read your Bible. It's exciting, the things that go on in here. You should open up your word. So, he takes her, and he has sex with her, and then he lets her go by. And you know what? A couple of... Uh, about a month goes by, 
and everything is groovy. There's no big deal. David got away with it. The only person who knows is the servant, and the servant's not going to say anything. He's not, he doesn't want to be beheaded. He's not going to talk about what happens. She writes a letter. Remember the condom you wore? It broke. Well, now that's a problem. Let me tell you why that's a problem. The reason that that's a problem is why, where's her husband at this time? He's away at battle, has been for some months. Listen, I know that we live in an enlightened age and that we're all real smart and science has given, but let me tell you something. It takes nine months to have a kid, whether you were 2,000 years ago or you today, right? You come home and your wife is pregnant and you haven't been with her, you don't need a whole lot of science to know something went wrong. Something went wrong. Well, David, David sees his sin. And he says, the jig is up. We're in trouble now. We can't cover this up. There's no abortion. There's no, none of that stuff. What are we going to do? I got an idea. Let me tell you something. If you're in sin, you got the brightest ideas, don't you? Isn't that true? I mean, you're just the smartest person you know. When you're in sin, you got all the ideas. Well, David got the idea. I know what I'll do. I'll call for Uriah, have him come in from war, get him a little bit loaded, right? A little frisky, a little loaded, right? Drink anybody, right? Used to drink. What do you want to do when you after you drink, right? Some stuff, right? To get a little couple of little alcohol in you, right? Walks in and says, you know what? You've been a great warrior. This is one of David's most loyal men. Part of his personal bodyguard. One of, if you've ever seen uh, a presidential, um, uh, either candidate or, 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 or actual president, try to be assassinated, what you see is men throw their bodies on them. They're trained to do that. They're willing to... In fact, the guy did that for Reagan. He was like paralyzed. He's... Um, they're willing to die for the king. This is one of those guys. I'll die for you. I'll give my life for you. You are my king. He goes, Uriah, I'm so proud of you. You know what? i tell you what. Just go home, rest, and then go back to what? Knowing that if he goes home, that she's a pretty, pretty lady. He'll have sex with her. He'll go. She'll go. You know that one time I was ovulating and oh my goodness and Here's the problem. Uriah is more honorable than David. Isn't it true that when you got all the bright ideas, something comes in to just put a chink in it? I know. I know some of y'all are thinking about your bright ideas last week. Yeah, I understand. Me too. He sleeps on the stairs. He says this. We, we, we have very few recorded words of Uriah, but out of all the recorded words of Uriah, they all mean honor to the king. May this congregation live a life whose words and actions are always honoring to our King Jesus. He gets on the stoop and he says, Far be it from me to go out and enjoy my wife while my brothers are suffering in the field. I'll sleep. I'm no punk. I'm no quitter. And he sleeps on the steps. David sees this, and he gets another bright idea. He's the smartest person he knows. Not like anybody in here. He's got all his bases covered. He says, Uriah, I know you slept off last night's drink. I want you to come inside, stay with me one more day. Gets him drunk again. Uriah does the exact same thing. Whether drunk or sober, Uriah is an honorable man. So then say David rolls up a message, writes in it, takes the message, rolls it up, says, do me a favor, Uriah. Uh, You're an honorable dude. I want you to give this message. Now, now, you don't open these messages. You die if you open these messages. These messages don't get opened. It's not like, you know, somebody gives you a card to give to somebody else and you go, and then you give it to them, right? Right? Have you, right? 
None of you wives know what that's like at all. No, not, not you, right? Till this day. Yeah, okay, so we'll go into that. Okay, so. Uriah's carrying his death notes. Notice. He's carrying his death warrant. David writes in this note. Put Uriah on the front lines. Go to the where most dangerous part of where they're, because they're at war, you know. Go to the most dangerous part of the city and then have everybody else on a particular, you know, like a football player. 33, 42, and then everybody does something on a particular note. On a particular signal, everybody pull back. Uriah is the only guy who doesn't know. And so this honorable man who honored the king was betrayed and he died. It gets better. David then takes Bathsheba to be his wife. We got away with it. Everything's good. Well, of course she's pregnant. She's my wife now. And everything is fine. Nobody has said anything. By the way, who knows about David's sin at this point? The servant? The guard? Who read the note? The the commander that read the note. Let me ask you, how many people did he have to tell to pull back with Uriah not being pulled back? Everybody. Anybody think, find it very coincidental that Uriah, the only guy who didn't get the signal, his wife is now David's wife? Anybody find that little coincidental? Everybody knows, and nobody says a thing, because it's not my problem, and because it's not my issue, and I don't need to get involved, and let them be, and hey, it's not my life, and so what? It's just up to them, and hey, listen, isn't the sin already done? What am I going to do? And it's at that point that we pick up our heroes in this story. Everybody open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Look at me. Who sent, who sent um, Nathan? Who did he send him to? Right now, as you sit, the Lord will put people in your mind. They're your sons, they're your daughters, they're your wives, they're your husbands, they're your friends, they're your nephews, they're your nieces, they're your co-workers. And God is sending you to them. And you say, no, 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 the sin was, was, was four months ago. No, 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 they already had the abortion. No, 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 they already got it. They're already out of the mess. God will send you. He will send you. And if that person is in your mind, would you, in, you have sermon maps that we, where it has the scripture. If you open up your bulletin, you'll see it. You'll have all the scripture that you're reading. So if you didn't bring your Bible, it's cool. You have the scripture right there. And the, behind it, there's some lines that you can write. In between the lines and my email address, you can write down some names. Not in the lines, because I'll have some things for you to write down in the lines. But write down some names, because God is sending you to somebody. God will send you. God will not let people fall on their faces. If people fall on their faces because someone was disobedient, to wave a red flag and say something's wrong. God sent Nathan. And truth be told, God has sent others to you. And you're in your sin and you're so smart, and you're so intelligent. You got everything. You're the brightest guy you know. You can't hear anyone. The only people you hear is the people that you agree with, people who are co-signing your nonsense. And you're sitting, and God will send people to you. He'll say, woman, you are sinning. What are you doing? God sends David to Nathan. The risk here is not 
a break of a relationship. Nathan needs more courage than you can possibly imagine right now. He has a position. It's called prophet. That means his family's welfare, the way they they eat, they live, is closely associated to Nathan's position to David. Nathan loses that. He loses everything. There's no welfare. There's no there's no uh, uh, unemployment line. There's a, if the best case scenario, David rebukes Nathan and removes him from his court. He doesn't know where to live. He lost his home. He loses his family. He loses his ability to provide for his children. He gets the privilege of watching his children waste away and die. The stakes are high. Why would Nathan go? It's already done. I mean, the damage is already... He's not saving anyone's life. He's not helping anybody be more righteous. Let me tell you why Nathan goes. Because God sends him. And if God sends you, you gotta go. If God is breaking your heart over your friend, you gotta love him enough to say, brother, I've looked in the mirror. Here's my sin. I've asked God to help me. God, help me with the sin. I'm not perfect. I'm trying. But now, I'm gonna help you with your speck. God. God sends God has sent a Nathan to you. Isn't that true? Some of you are just going in the wrong direction. Some of you are just hitting, oh gosh, how I weep for some of you. You're just, you're just, I mean, you are going to hell on a greased pole. And God sends you people. But you've got the brightest ideas. And you're the smartest person you know. read the story because it gets worse. When he came to him, that is Nathan came to him, he said, listen to this story. This is the most brilliant prose I've ever heard in my life. If this is new to some of you guys, you're really going to enjoy this. If this is old to some of you guys, I want you to kind of re-experience this because this is absolutely brilliant. God not only sends him, he gives him a way to confront him. He gives him the wisdom to confront him. Listen to what he says. Verse 2. Verse 1. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. Look up at me. You and I don't understand what that means. Um, If you think of, you know, has anybody here ever had a dog that became like a family member? I had a dog whose name was Gualdiang. Is that the coolest name for a dog you've ever heard in your life? Gualdiang, it's Spanish for guardian. He was a German shepherd. He rocked, right? He shed and he crapped like a horse, but he rocked. He was awesome. I loved Gualdiang. Watch this. Gualdiang was like family. Gualdiang was like family. We, we kissed him. We hugged him. We played with him. We went outside with him. He was, he was family, right? Well, that's what he's talking about, this ewe lamb, this adorable little lamb, this little baby lamb that grew up with him. Some of you who are pet people understand the, the beauty of that statement, right? So, he, in other words, he's trying to get an, an emotion out of David. But the poor man had nothing except the one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew up with his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. That's the lamb. It was like a daughter to him. It's like a part of the family. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Did you hear that? This guy, with all the riches in the world, goes to this one poor guy, and the guy's asleep, and he takes his lamb, slaughters it, and he feeds it to this wanderer. It's not even a, like, a, like a buddy. The, 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 the word there, the traveler, is like a wanderer. This is not a family member. This is a wanderer. This isn't no one. Give him, give him, I mean, honestly, he's coming through. You want to be gracious, but it's late at night. Give him leftovers. 
Like, honestly. He takes this one new little lamb. All that he had. Now, travel. Oh, I read that. Um, verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Anybody here know what irony means? Irony means that what is being said and what is being understood is not what's being said or understood. That if I go, um, well, in this story, that this guy is talking about a lamb. Now, Nathan knows he's not talking about a lamb. God knows he's not talking about a lamb. The readers know he's not talking about a lamb. David, however, does not know he's talking about a lamb. And David, with all the power, this guy deserves, he's worthy of death. Verse 6, he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You're kidding, right? Then Nathan said to David, look up at me, listen to me. Nathan right now has a moment where all of this is culminating. Now listen to me, listen to me. You know that if God sends you to a person, it's because he's preparing that person's heart. And sometimes it's not immediately noticed or anything like that, but he's preparing that person's heart. And Nathan's next few words are absolute, they take my breath away. Every time I read them, I just don't know what to do with them. You ready? Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the one who had the many wives. And Uriah was the one who had the one. You were the one who could have done anything to satisfy your traveler, your impulses, your desires. You know how your feelings are travelers, right? They come in and then they go. You could have satisfied your traveler. Oh, I'm sorry, were the several hundred wives that you had not enough? Were the several hundred concubines you had not enough? You couldn't satisfy your traveler. You are the man. And the king who's corrupt and earthly says, that person deserves to die. Well, listen to what God has to say. Verse 8, verse 7, let's finish This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Whenever you see, thus saith the Lord, or this is what the Lord, put the big ear on. God is speaking now, okay? I mean, this is a big deal. Jesus is about to speak. I anointed you king over Israel. In other words, who gave you these riches? I did. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul, who freed you from the peril and the danger of your life. I did. I gave you, notice how many eyes are in here. I'm not going to stop after every one, but just notice. I gave you, I gave you, I did this, I did this. You didn't do this. You didn't earn this. Those lambs that you had, that flocks that you had, the women that you had, the kingdom that you have, everything you have, I gave it to you. But you decided to do something for yourself. Listen to how he says this, the Lord says this. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I'd have given you even more. Why did you despise the word? Of the Lord. 
when we sin, we despise the word of the Lord. I gave you your clean time. I gave you your freedom. I gave you the joy that you have today. What, are you actually giving the glory to another God? Are you actually taking the credit for yourself? I gave you your clean clothes. You took a shower today? I did that. That was me, God says. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? He's referring back to the Old Testament about, um, because David broke um, three commandments. Uh, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not murder. I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing this, what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, took his wife to be your own. You killed him with with the sword of the Ammonites. You did that. You're the hit man. Notice what God did and what David did. It's a contrast there. You bring about death, destruction, and stealing. I bring about life and blessing and beauty. And then God drops the consequence on him. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. By the way, what's going to be read right here What's going to be said right here happened. You read a couple of chapters over, it happened. And it was David's son. And David, listen to me, David, David, his son took his wives, slept with them. Slept with David's wife. Could you imagine this? He put it on top of a mountain and he had sex with them so he could dishonor his father. It's like, in in, in my world, it's like spitting in my face. Like if you come up to me and go, you punk, and you spit in my face, it's, I just don't know anything where it's like, you know, you know I, I, I hold my Bible as I'm beating you to a pulp. But you just can't do that. Like that's the, that's the highest level of, of disrespect you can get. David's son sleeps with his wives and tries to take the kingdom from him. From here on in, there's destruction in David's life. By the way, you know what I find very interesting as I was doing my studying of this chapter? When I do a study of a chapter, I also find out the context of the book, and I study the book in order so I can be kind of, you know, on point. I want want to give you guys some good stuff here. One of the things that's very, very interesting is that David's sin breaks 2 Samuel right in half. There's like 12 chapters of blessing. Well, it's actually, his sin starts at chapter 10. But there's like, in these two chapters, right, these ten chapters of blessing, victory, victory, victory. He can do no wrong. He can have no evil. He can just do, victory, 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 victory. And then there's these two chapters, and then defeat, 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 defeat. Family, kingdom-wise. God spares David, but there's some serious consequences to this sin. Okay. I'm going to jump down to verse 13, because this is where we're going to stay for the rest of this sermon. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Look up at me. Don't you wish it was always that easy? I mean, just don't you wish that? Don't you wish that you can go to someone who's sinning deeply and then they'd be broken? Like, you know, you go, dude, you're you're acting like a little girl. You need to man up. Come on, bro, help me out. Like, man up, right? Become a man. Take your lumps like a man. Go forward. Don't just like, oh no, Satan's attacking. I have to go to a prostitute. Like, don't be like that, right? You know, don't, don't let that be your story. Or, or you just go, you go to somebody and you go to a woman and you say, you know, woman, listen, you're doing you're, this dating situation that you're in, you're unequally yoked. You're, 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 you're serving, you're trying to serve Jesus, but you're also going to serve this guy. This, this is not good. Don't you wish they would go, I have sinned against the Lord. Have you ever heard that? I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Listen to me. God is sending you to some people. God is sending you to some people who you know are hurting themselves. 
Right now, some of you are sitting right now, and this message is unbelievably uncomfortable for you. The Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart. He has sent people to you. He has sent people to you. And you haven't responded with, I have sinned against the Lord. Let me tell you something. Sitting in this seat sometimes, all the time, it's very uncomfortable. If you're sitting in this seat and God has blessed you with a Nathan, here's a suggestion for you. Humble yourself. Let me tell you a couple of things that are guaranteed to happen. They're not going to have as cool a story as Nathan. And they're not going to be able to maneuver you to see your sin in that way. I bet it's going to be messy. I bet that when the people that you love and that love you see that you're in sin, it's gonna, and you're going to go, this is what you're going to say. Uh, and here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. But their presentation... Ah, but they said this to me. Here's what, here's what else you're going to say. You're going to say, Ah, but, but they, they don't even hear my side of it. Here's what else they're going to say. They don't understand. See, when you're sitting in this chair, there's nothing. I'm telling you, it's like the national pastime for those who are in sin to just create smoke screens. Listen, listen. It's going to be messy. It's going to be difficult. But there's soul. There's a soul at stake here. And I don't know about you. But if my kid's crossing the street and I see a car, it's not pretty. I might have to break their arm to remove them from that car. Like, I mean, I, I've never, ever, if my, it, and this has only happened like two or three times, where I yank so hard because, like, the kid gets up, uh, up ahead of you and you see a car coming, and you yank so hard. You think that you're going to break their arm. There was one time where my son was uh, on the block and, and uh, we were playing ball and, and, and uh, I remember this. We were, we were right there. And I, was, I, I even remember who I was talking to. I was talking to Rob. And we were in his van. And as we were talking, he ran out. I think we were playing wiffle ball or something like that. And he ran out into the street. And I screamed at the top of my voice, God, no! Now, at that moment, I wasn't thinking about reverence to God. I was, it was a command almost. It was a, it was a pa- You know why? Because when those you love are going to get hurt... Sometimes you look a little freakish. Sometimes you're not as sensitive. Sometimes, listen, when those who love you, and you're sitting here, and those who love you, listen, husband, listen, could it be that your wife is a jerk for the way she approached you, and yet still right? Kids, kids, listen to me. Could it be that your parents are idiots? still right. Could it be that God sent them like he sent Nathan? And could it be that your only response should be I have sinned before the Lord. It's messy. And nobody likes to do it. It's nasty. And nobody wants to do it because it's, it breaks relationships and it destroys. It's, it's messy. For those of you who are seeing, I'm speaking to three sorts of people right now. For those of you who see your loved ones, I want you to remember the first part of the series. Would you just remember the first part of the series? Remember to look in the mirror, ask God to remove your sin and then help the other in that order. Would you look at that? Would you do that? Second, would you not give up? Would you just not, would you love your, the people that you love enough not to give up? Listen, Please, don't give up. But I've gone to them a hundred times. Then go a hundred and one. Friends saying, oh, evil, evil. I mean, you know, ten friends saying, oh, good, good, go, 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 do, do. And you're the only one going, this is evil? I get so tired sometimes. 
But I remember my Jesus didn't forgive up on me. And there was a prophet who was more than a prophet, more than a nation, who came to you and did not give up on you and came to you and wooed you. We heard it today. Years ago, Jesus wooed me. And it wasn't until 20 minutes ago that I received him. He's calling me. So the first, first person I'm talking to is the Christian who's in this room. And Jesus loves you. And he doesn't want And he wants you to see someone in their sin and address that. Judge it. It's okay. Second person I'm speaking in the room is you've never known Jesus. I mean, you, you, know, you used to go to church and you got confirmed at a particular age and you know, they baptized you when you were a little baby and that was real meaningful for your parents and all that, but you never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus. Your family is a testimony to that. It's a shambles. It's just a mess. You're here because you're broken and everything is about to unravel. And God brought you here so that you can give your heart to the one who gave his heart to you. So that you can give your life to the one who gave his life to you. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Thirdly, I'm speaking to the person who's in sin. As I'm preaching this message, I'm thinking of like ten people who think that I'm just like taking their story. Because there's at least ten of you who are sitting here who I'm begging Jesus to intervene on their lives. It's probably more than that. And I'm just glad that you feel uncomfortable. And I'm just begging Jesus. Just waking up. Some of you I talked to yesterday. Some of you I talked to a week ago. Some of you a month ago. And God keeps on sending me to you. And God doesn't, maybe not me, maybe he sends someone else. Maybe your small group leader. Or someone who loves you. Says you're in relapse mode. You're you're, you're hurting yourself. You're you're, you're going off in the wrong direction. Would you just, would you just, Practice this now. I have sinned against the Lord. Don't go, but my wife is not treating me well, that's why I have to go outside the marriage, or life is not so good. No, no, no. I have sinned against the Lord. Stop. I have sinned against him. I'm speaking to you. I'm, speak, I'm not speaking to the person next to you. I'm speaking to the person in your seat. So if you're a Christian... You don't stop. You don't. You be Jesus. You be Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you surrender your life to Jesus today. And if it's you that Jesus is sending people to, you respond like David. I have sinned against the Lord. I want everybody to take out your yellow cards, and we're going to have the um, singers come up. They're going to sing. This is the song they're going to sing. Amazing love. How can it be? that you, my king, would die for me. I want everybody to take out your yellow cards. And on your yellow cards, on your yellow cards, if you're a Christian, listen to me, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian here, and you need, God has put people in your heart and in your life, I want you to just put their names down. Just put their names down. And just say, listen, if you're a Christian and God has put you, and you need to confront them, I want you on your yellow card, as you fill out your name, here's what I want you to write. Never quit. If you are the person that God is sending, I want you to write, never quit. Listen, if you're the person who's never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you're the person... Who, who's gonna, who needs to confront someone, and you've confronted them over or you're afraid to confront them, just write down, never quit. Make a commitment to Jesus and to yourself that you're not going to stop. You're not going to give up on that person. You're going to love them enough to confront them again. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you on that yellow card. Here's what I want you to write. I need Jesus. Just want you to write that down. I need Jesus. Everybody play along. Everybody take out your yellow cards. Fill them out as we're talking. And thirdly, if you're the person who's being addressed, I want you to write, I have sinned against the Lord. 
It'll give me a special prayer because if you, if you say that, then I'll be able to pray, oh God, continue this repentance in his heart. Continue this repentance in her life. Continue this repentance in their lives. As usual, God's word has something for all of us. As you listen to this song, and as you give, we're all going to sit down. None of us are going to stand up for this song. We're just going to receive as God speaks to us through this song. And then Gus is going to come up and um, call for an offering. Listen to me. Everyone needs to respond to this message. Here's the one way that I want you desperately to respond to this message. There are people, listen to me, there are people that you know that don't know Jesus. You go with them to meetings all the time. You go to work with them all the time. And they need to be confronted. They need to know about Jesus. Listen, Easter is two weeks away. Why, why don't you invite them? Why don't you invite them? We'll have uh, 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 cards that you can hand them, invitations. We make it easy for you. I promise, I promise. Listen, if you invite your friends for Easter, I'll preach my heart out. I'll, do, I'll study real hard. I'll ask Jesus to touch their lives. But I want all of you, between now and Easter, to invite ten of your friends. If we all brought ten friends here, we'd fill up the rabbit. Imagine how God, God would be glorified in that. you got ten people who need Jesus. And they need to be confronted. It's enough already. You need to stop asking them. Not Stop saying, oh, forget it. Oh, they'll be okay. Oh, they're all right. You need to start inviting them to the Lord. Father, as the musicians get ready to sing this song, I just ask that you pierce every heart, that this word would not have fallen on deaf ears. And Lord, those here, those 10 or 15 or 20 who are angry with me right now, I think that I'm sharing their junk. Would you remind them of the Holy Ghost? Would you remind them of the conviction that Jesus gives? Would you remind them that it's you who wants to get their attention? Father, would you have them to repent? I pray that they would agree with you in repentance. Father, that it wouldn't be repentance on her terms, but repentance on yours. Not a repentance on his terms, but a repentance on your terms. And Father, for those here who are afraid to either walk over the line of faith to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Or even to confront someone who's in sin or to invite someone to church. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength, that you would give them courage, and that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of new life. Speak to their hearts, O God. Help them to invite people for Easter, confront people on their sin, and confess their sin themselves. Help us to sing about your amazing love. For we do pray in Jesus' name.